Podcast. Hold on to your butt. Come on, sucker. Let's get it on. Oh, you want to fight? You want to fight? I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. You don't know anybody named Iris? I don't know nobody named Iris. Can I have a piece of toast? I don't give a damn what you think you are entitled to. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Western demands. How could you do this to me? Really, I want to know. Why did you do that? What you feel only matters to you. Step back for one minute and look at the big picture. And that's all. No, no, not for the real fire. The orphans bond a family that very few can understand. Help me. Help you. <laughs> I don't do drugs. Or Whatever Movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I am your co-host, Iris, and I'm here with my older brother, Wesley. And today we're talking about a movie from last year, 2020, The Midnight Sky. Midnight Sky. It is everywhere. On the Midnight Sky page on IMDb, there is an ad for The Midnight Sky. Where are you looking up Midnight Sky? (laughs) On IMDb. (laughs) It's on the homepage, but it's also on the actual Midnight Sky page. It's hilarious. So what is their angle on presenting Midnight Sky in the stuff you're looking at? Is it him and it's his parka basically, gazing at the Midnight yeah, Sky? Uh, no, he's looking kind of to the left, and he's he's got a hand on Iris. Man, spoiler. Let's just refer to her as punk-ass little kid. We find out fairly early on that her name is Iris, yep. even though there's the convenient misdirect at the top that she could be Anna or Anna. Yep. I feel like this movie was full of potential misdirects. I assumed pretty early on that George Clooney was getting sick from radiation and not necessarily from whatever his terminal illness was. Right. And it was very clear that she was not affected by that. And so I was like, "Mm, yeah, she's probably not really there. I mean, people go crazy when they're alone. Absolutely. And this is not the first of this kind of movie, not even the first of this kind of movie with George Clooney in it. The beginning of my confusion was not Iris, but rather the haziness, pun intended, of what the problem was. If he had a terminal illness, which preceded the radiation, why the radiation looked like smoke, why the radiation didn't seem to affect him, or maybe he didn't care if it did, when he walked outside and the animals were dying. He knew that the radiation was coming to the boundaries of the outpost, and he had his oxygen mask on, and maybe if he didn't breathe it because it wasn't radiation, maybe, because the satellite imagery showed that the planet was obscured by all this smoke or dust or something or other. Mm -hmm. So that wonkiness was my first confusion. You weren't clear what the threat was. It was clear that it was radiation and it was a problem and people were piecing out because of it. It seemed like maybe he had his own issue aside from that and he didn't want to bother to go to the other planet, exoplanet or the moon, because he just was content with what he had in front of him. And thus he wasn't afraid of the radiation. But radiation is not visible. It's not all the brown haze obscuring all the continents when you view it from space. But there were full-on mushroom clouds of some kind of debris or something. So, you know, it could have been that. Yeah. And maybe it wasn't the physical manifestation of radiation. Radioactive dust from the nuclear fallout from the explosion. Okay. Hard to see the midnight sky if the uh, sky is blotted out by radiation dust. (laughs) But I'm not. I'm still not understanding what was unclear to you. 
It's not like the plot is hard to track. You remember that game, the emoji game to guess the movies that we talked about on a previous episode? Yeah. Yeah, some of those are very simplistic. They're very straightforward. And you gave me the one about Inception. But if I wasn't in the zone, <laughs> if I wasn't in the vibe, I'm like, I don't know. I, I looked at I don't know what it is. Just tell me. And so, yes, if you pay attention, the Midnight Sky is pretty transparent in what it's trying to convey, at least by the end. You're not like, I don't understand. It's more like, I kind of didn't care. Look, I need to be, in order to care, in order to meditate on a meditative piece like this, I need to care right. about what's afflicting him, about why he didn't go, about the ramifications about a kid being left behind, and about the disconnected feel of him and the ether. I mean, obviously, they were setting up all these characters, and you're like, okay, so here's George Clooney, and here's a girl... There's the wife or the girlfriend or the other scientist. Bye-bye. And then the, it, we're introducing the pregnant lady. And we're figuring out what's going on with this other spaceship. I'm guessing the Midnight Sky novel had multiple sections that they were intercutting for the purposes of this movie. Because, yes, they do seem like disparate stories that they're trying to kind of weave together. And we're supposed to trust that it's all going to come together and, and make sense. But to use your Inception emoji game analogy... I think that your problem with my convoluted, confusing emoji <laughs> for Inception was not that it was hard, but rather that the emoji game is supposed to be fun. And, yeah, okay. And that wasn't fun. It was annoying. And um, it's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be quick. And that kind of applies to this because The Midnight Sky was certainly none of those things. Well, neither was George Clooney's previous lonely space movie. He was more or less alone for the majority of Solaris, which I love. You know, there were a lot of lonely elements, maybe not for his character specifically in Gravity, of course. But there's also, you know, Ad Astra, it's reflective and contemplative and, and Moon, all these kinds of movies. Isolation, especially in 2020, is not a foreign theme. And, and those were more fun to me because I was immediately engaged. This movie didn't speak to me at the top. And I was like, okay, let's uh, pick it up a little bit. But you're supposed to, he's establishing the atmosphere, the loneliness, the isolation. He's basically the last man on earth. And don't you kind of have to get that vibe to really care for him? And I did that. And I experienced the boredom and loneliness of him being the only one on earth because I had no frame of reference for anyone. This film requires an investment of caring and they needed to give me something to care about. And they are introducing new characters all the time. We know who Felicity Jones was. She was in Rogue One and the On the Basis of Sex, the RGB movie and the and a bunch of other stuff lately. She's been around for a while. We know she's important. I know Damien Bashir is important. But other characters were introduced in this way that we're supposed to care about. You're paying attention when the mom stands out from the crowd and she's looking for Anna, right? You're paying attention when George Clooney's baby mama drives away. Uh, even though we don't have all the connections. And then he he and Iris inexplicably leave the safety of the base to travel to another place. And they come across the plane crash and wondering about the significance of that dude. And so whatever, we're leaving the safety of this thing. It's not what I would have done, but okay. On a, on, it's, it's, this is a one-time deal. They decide to leave the base on the snowmobile with very little supplies obviously never ever intending to come back this is a one-way shot and so this movie propels us along in ways that i didn't quite understand so they come across the guy in the plane crash and then they come yep. across the little boxcar station in the middle of nowhere and now they're going to sleep and now they're wet why are they wet they're very well he's wet she doesn't get wet yeah and he throws her out the window 
and goes to great lengths to save her almost dies himself. And now they're worse off than plain dude in that they're soaking wet and they're wandering around in the middle of nowhere. In a snowstorm. Yeah, they wouldn't last minutes. Well, you know, you know that his clock starts ticking the moment he loses his transfusion machine. So it's like, you already know the dude's going to die. But he's also now responsible for her, as evidenced by his panic to try to keep her alive when he loses her. He's going down, there's no doubt about it. And now he's icy and cold and he lost her on top of it. But he's stumbling around. Then he finds her again, and they're both wet and icy, okay? I don't think she's wet. Whatever, he's wet, and he's sickly. And now there are wolves, and now Iris is gone. It goes from bad to worse. And then Uh he gets that ice goatee, where his entire face is covered with ice. And Kelly's like, "Um, he might lose his lips. (laughs) It was like a donut of ice stuck to his face. (laughs) Yeah, but it probably offers some protection from all of the wind. I know I'm being nitpicky, but I'm watching this thing, and I'm like, okay, they're leaving, I guess. Oh, and now this is happening, and now this is happening, and now they're hosed. Yeah, what is your point? Right, and then we switch to the gravity, the the ether arbitrary spacewalk that they take, and and, uh uh-oh, it's her first time, and you walk outside, I'm like, okay, we know she's going to die. Kelly's like, she's not going to die, and I'm like, well, Jen Erso, uh, what's her name? Felicity Jones isn't going to die, and the baby daddy's not going to die. And so it's got to be her. And then she didn't die. And then she died. And then got her in a thing. And maybe she's going to live. But then she's not going to live because the blood skittles were flying around. But not not one of those drops of blood hit and stuck to anything as blood or water would. In fact, it bounced off of stuff. It's called the covalent bond. Liquid sticks to itself. But still, you look at, uh, you do the same thing when they drink orange juice in space, give it, give or take the viscosity of blood. And that, that it all floats around in bubbles until it hits you in the face and then it splatters everywhere just like water does. None into of those little, things. Into littler bubbles. No, that's not how liquid works in space. It's how liquid works up to a point, but they don't stay like Skittles forever. And it was beautiful, but also unrealistic. Uh, in the same way that a lot of, some of, gravity was. And I, I can get all sciency and nitpicky or whatever, but it just spoke to things that happened and weren't quite right or realistic. Just like him wandering around soaking wet in the middle of a blizzard, you know, miles away from anything, and they're just going to be fine. They're going to be fine. I'm feeling like we're going to end 2020 and start 2021 with nopes. So I'm in a nope mode. I've switched. I've reverted to just a nope stage. Yes, it's like your nopey mopey. I like watching George Clooney. I think he has presence, but he didn't just act in this movie so that I can blame it on someone else. He also directed Midnight Sky. And for all the pains he goes to to make it a spectacle type of movie, a lot like Ad Astra with his buddy Brad Pitt. I mean, it's harrowing when he's trying to save the snowmobile. And it's harrowing when they're out on the spacewalk and they're trying their best to survive. And it sucks that she got stuck at the last minute and almost made it. She did make it back in. It's just she didn't realize she had a puncture wound. This is, like, this do you is not what have I'm saying. Sensation out in space. Right. I mean, I get that a lot was going on, but also her suit would have immediately depressurized. So there's a lot of little stuff like that, that it feels like they're like, oh, I mean, nobody will pick up on that. We're focused on the emotionalism of she's one of only four people on their spacecraft. Uh, headed, headed off to an uncertain fate and and that's what we're focusing on on the the possibility of losing her not on the logistics and the limitations of space and uh they knew that there was an ice field up ahead they might have been going through one of the rings of the planet or something and they're like let's take a walk it's your first time but what could happen well they didn't have a choice they had lost radar and they were they had lost their course yeah but they still yeah so 
we we were thrown into this new mission and and I honestly zoned out during the beautiful <laughs> aka bo- like no I mean during the beautiful yet boring spacewalk I kind of I started thinking about stuff and it wasn't until the ice storm brought me back to reality that I was oh okay so we're here's the stakes part I get it. You're in space and it's beautiful. You can't go for a spacewalk just for the spectacle of it. There's got to be something. Something has to go wrong. Yeah, it was the uh, the computer generating the story. If we go out on a spacewalk, things must go wrong. If we venture right. away from the base, things must go wrong. Insert twist at the end. <laughs> but this wasn't an Apple original. This was a Netflix original. I mean, I, I just... Same difference. I don't even remember the context for some of these things. I wrote, okay... Now they're walking, and they're wet and icy, and now they're singing, and they almost died. Who's singing? They were singing uh, Sweet Caroline on the spaceship. Oh, right. Relevant? Who knows? Right. Well, that, that, and that was uh, what ultimately tipped me off, that something had to go wrong, because the filmmakers have to put you at ease before calamity strikes, right? And just knowing that construct, isn't that a little bit frustrating? If you're going to get it into the sing-along, you just know that it's going to be punctuated with something horrible. Yes. I mean, if you're ahead of it, then, yeah, it's kind of almost impossible to enjoy the sing-along. It just becomes this ominous foreshadowing of the disaster to come. And as well, if you have a space movie where things are in jeopardy, you inevitably have to bring up the slingshot maneuver, right? You're almost you're out of options. <laughs> but we're going to slingshot around this bad boy, and that's going to save the day. <laughs> But that was that had to have been native to the novel. I mean, that doesn't seem like something that they had to construct for the film. I mean, that was essential to the story that they had to go back to K-23. I'm kind of bummed. I wanted to like this movie. I wanted it to wash over me, and it never came together. And of course it did come together. Of course, oh, she's Iris. The girl never really existed. The girl was also presumably a vision in the back of the car, wasn't she? No, that was, no. That was actually her, but he never saw that was her. Actually, that was either he got a glimpse, he had enough of an impression of her that she was forever frozen in time as that girl he had seen that day. Uh, but he didn't recognize her. It was interesting to me that Felicity Jones was actually pregnant during this movie and oh, really? George Clooney said he ordinarily would have freaked out about something like that in his younger years or his greener directing days because he's directed other movies. He would have been freaked out about her being pregnant? Yeah, what do you do? Like right before shooting, oh, by the way, I'm pregnant. You can do the thing where you mask the belly and put them behind desks and stuff. But also he's like, this could be good. Let's roll with it. Oh, you mean that wasn't in the story that she was pregnant? No, she was oh, well, pregnant. that's good. Right, and that's great. And I really like what Clooney and, and, and Grant Heslove have done before. In some of the features that I watched, he talked about being out in the elements and it being excruciatingly cold. And him, not his eyelids would freeze shut and he wouldn't be able to think. And this girl that was playing Iris, the young version, was along for the ride and was up for anything. Didn't complain. Was great to work with. And he's like, man, we were really out there and it was really tough. And we really worked really hard. And I'm like, God, I wish that had paid off. <laughs> Wasn't that the same screenwriter from The Revenant? <laughs> that would make... Perfect sense. I did not track it because I did not care. I wasn't like, who is this up-and-comer we should be following? Thematically, I enjoy his work and want to follow it. Yeah, I think that Mark L. Smith was the writer for The Revenant 2015. So he has his snow fetish. Such a beautiful film where things happen because it's time for a thing to happen. (laughs) Well, maybe that's his thing and maybe it's a little bit too convenient for you but I'm happy to hear that Felicity Jones and her actual pregnancy inspired Sully's pregnancy and that it wasn't 
native to Lily Brooks Dalton's book because that was super annoying to me. I was like, okay, you're a scientist. It's like when it's like when doctors are like, oh yeah, we had an oops baby, and you're like, you're doctors. How do like, you do not know what birth control means or how it works? Do you, do you do not know how the biology works? But I was thinking like Sully and Captain Adewale are obviously educated, capable, if not extremely intelligent scientists. Otherwise, they wouldn't be on the Ether mission. And she was like, I didn't expect this. Did you expect this? And he was like, no. And I was like, um, so then why did you allow yourself to get pregnant on a two-year mission? And like you're adding additional risk to your entire crew. It, it just, it happened that way. Unplanned pregnancies happen and things happen in this movie for the sake of happening. On paper, it all seems fine. And then when you put it all together, you're like, I don't know if it quite matches up. Nobody thought that maybe phonetically her name shouldn't be Iris Sully. <laughs> It doesn't have quite the same ring as Iris Uchishta, but, you know, it's not horrible. No, one of very few Iris movies, as I have discovered. Uh, I can think of a few. Yeah. What's the one in our intro? Right. So there's uh, Taxi Driver and yeah. there's Iris in your favorite movie, The Holiday. Oh, yeah. But very few times do they say the name in a meaningful way in movies. So I'll have to mind this one. Yeah, Felicity Jones's Sully, who conveniently goes by Sully, the entire movie is later revealed as Iris. And I wasn't really making the connection. And we all know that I love closed captions and I watch movies with CC on all the time. And I wasn't really tracking that he was Augustine. And then one of the closed captions said, you know, Augustine speaks or whatever like that. And I was like, oh, okay, so that's young George Clooney because homeboy did not look like George Clooney. Am I right? Uh, yeah. And I wondered the same thing. And Kelly was like, obviously, that's George Clooney. But we know what young George Clooney looks like. And so that's always a problem. <laughs> I mean, maybe for people, you know, maybe for, for kiddos or whatever, they're like, who's the old dude? And, and you can get behind it. Yeah, but Ethan Peck did not look like George Clooney at all. I think it was delivery. I think he's vaguely sounded like George Clooney and looked enough like him that we assume that everyone looks different with wildly different hair. It just felt like George Clooney as Augustine and this Ethan Peck guy who was supposed to play young Augustine. All no, Nobody looked like George Clooney. Like George Clooney didn't look like George Clooney. George Clooney was like old and lumbering. Wait, and... who are we talking about? I'm talking about George Clooney. <laughs> George Clooney did not look like George Clooney. He looked like an old dude who was lumbering around and all grim-faced and scowly. And I was like, who, is that George Clooney? Yeah, I don't know. He always looks like George Clooney. I mean, he's looked like that for a long time. But I would say the same thing about Clint Eastwood. Nobody looks like Clint Eastwood, right? Except take another kind of wonky space movie, Space Cowboys, which already is a dumb enough title to where you're like, I'm not going to take this one seriously, right? Look at the double for Clint Eastwood in Space Cowboys, and you're like, wow, where did they find that dude if he's not related to Clint Eastwood, which he's not? And he's got the growly, but the eyes and the mouth, it's all really well done. And my connection here is that I feel like George Clooney Looney, in a way, is trying to be the working hard but still not take everything too seriously director that Clint Eastwood is. Just like, we're going to do a thing. She's pregnant. We're going to roll with it, get it into the story. Let's get this thing shot. They were insistent. He was insistent on actual snow flurries in some of the shots. He wants it to look great. He wants it to be really thoroughly engaging in a realistic kind of way. He, he can hear him on camera 
being like, oh, no, sorry, guys, we got to wait for the real thing. We got to wait until the snow flurries are just right. And they're packing up all their stuff and running to new locations to get this shot and that shot in real horrible, terrible Revenant style conditions. And you're like, with all that dedication and you're just like kind of on the fly, on the ground, filmmaking and acting. He lost like 25 pounds for this role because he was sickly and dying, but said that as a consequence, he can look frail and like he's dying and not be physically commanding on screen but being a director on top of that and having to do all that stuff and having no energy was really hard on him this movie actually sent him to the hospital at points and you're like man i wish all that effort and dedication would have paid off because it seems like the mishmash the harried troubled production that it was apparently I feel like you're getting down on the midnight sky because it wasn't exceptional. Like, this is a perfectly decent movie. It works structurally. It's post-apocalyptic and, I mean, it's a future movie, right? 2049, it's set in, I think. You know, there's going to be some things that are a little bit, you know, fantastical. We're going to have to suspend our disbelief because this is a future set movie, but it works. Like, it, I feel like you're down on this because, like... The Wolf of Snow Hollow, you had great expectations going in. You like George Clooney. You like George Clooney's space movies. Like, really, what is wrong with this movie other than the fact that it what it didn't wow you? It didn't come together, and it seemed like they gave us the things that they thought would distract us from the obvious flaws. Look, it's shiny, but it doesn't quite come together at the seams. My suspension of disbelief was stretched a little bit too much for me to be perfectly okay with it. There were some moments in gravity that weren't plausible. Notably, spoiler, George Clooney's death in that movie. It's not the way physics work. This is not the way some of the physics in this movie work. This is not the way some of life works. But it's fine. It's a different kind of movie. It's the post-apocalyptic movie and things are horrible and things are wrong. But there were too many things as a fairly savvy moviegoer that hit me square in the face every single time. And those built up. It annoyed me. I was like, come on. Because I want George Clooney to succeed as a filmmaker. I think he's put out really good work, both as a producer and as an actor. So I was like, let's see what you got, George Clooney. Not a whole terrible amount. But it's not to say I didn't enjoy watching this movie. It just can't rank among my favorites because of the wonkiness of many things. Things that were convenient or meant to be profound in their lack of expository establishment and were never, or I didn't care when the event, when the explanation finally came around. I mean, it, with his experience with gravity, you could see how this would make sense, like with Solaris and... You know, I can imagine him being like, I want to try my hand at a space movie. Sure. And this source material has a ton of potential. And it's one dude in this one part of the story. And that's a great vehicle for, for me, star vehicle for me. And then there's the whole ether mission piece, which, you know, I'm sure would be a whole lot of fun to direct. And we haven't talked about that almost at all in this review. Right. It seems like this was like Away or one of those shows where they have a lot of content and maybe the midnight sky was a limited series or a multiple episodic series that he was like, Nope, going to make a movie and pared it all down. And some of the, uh, some of the nuance gets lost. Some of the stuff that's slowly revealed over the course of 10, 12 episodes all kind of gets jammed into this thing. It's like, um, the devil all the time, long sprawling novel boiled down to two hours of kind of confusing content. Not really confusing, but like for anyone else, I would be like, good effort, George Clooney, and give him a pat on the butt. You know, keep doing your thing. You're, one of these days you're going to make a movie that's going to change the world. But the dude just turned 60 
and he's directed numerous movies before, and he put himself through hell, and I think, like like Leonardo DiCaprio, after putting himself through hell, he's not going to get the recognition that he deserves, that he that he wants, you know? You said that you're going to get you're going to pat George Clooney on the butt. Yep. We really need to talk about the Ether crew though a little bit because Kyle Chandler was great and he's always great even if he was a little Kyle Chandler y in this role. Is it bad that I don't know who the hell you're talking about? You know who Kyle Chandler who is? Who's Kyle <sighs> Chandler? Do you know how many times we have referenced Friday Night Lights in this podcast and you have no idea what I'm talking about? You're right, football movies that I should know and love. Football series. There was a movie, but I'm talking about the series. Kyle Chandler is the coach in the series, and he's the best coach ever, according to Brian. Yeah, but who, I thought he was pretty darn great. But who was he in this movie? He was um, Mitchell. He was the captain of the Ether mission. Or not the captain. He was the pilot. I thought... David Oyuelo. Oyuelo. Am I, am I pronouncing that? Sure. I o- thought he Yolo. was the pilot. Oyuelo. Oyuelo. No, he was the captain. And Sully, played by Felicity Jones. Like, I just can't stand Felicity Jones. I can't stand her. Oh my God. I mean, it just sounds petty, but I just can't stand her. But I, and she's fine for me. Uh, but George Clooney, I'm saying that I like George Clooney, that I like more or less everyone involved in this movie. And yet the movie came out being less than I expected it to be. And you're saying you actively dislike Felicity Jones. And yet you've spent this entire review defending Midnight Sky. Well, because I'm not really finding your dismissal of this movie to be fully justified. Like, if this were a Hallmark movie, it would be like, well, it was a really good Hallmark movie. Nope. Can't judge it by that by that metric. I'm, I'm just saying that there are probably people out there who want something that's gentle, and they want something that's meditative, and they don't want something that's overly convoluted. Like, this was a simple story with a simple plot. And, you know, ultimately it's about the reunion of father and daughter and Augustine is able to do something very special for his daughter, you know, essentially save her life. And he gives her a second chance. And what's so wrong about that? It's kind of sweet. They killed the female character and there was blood everywhere. How gentle and meditative was this movie? Do you see how harrowing that snowmobile rescue was? Well, the an- the antagonist or the villain is not, you know, it's not people killing people, although I guess the nuclear holocaust or whatever that whatever, whatever that is was probably not a natural disaster. But otherwise, it's, you know, it's man against element. It's man and woman against element. It's man and woman against space. There were, there were wolves. It's man and girl against snow. It's um, Maya against meteor shower or whatever that thing was. I mean, it's not like it was people <laughs> hurting people. No. Except for the nuclear holocaust. But it could have been. They they had those elements. All we were missing were ravenous space monkeys. <laughs> eating you through the face? Yep. Like eating you through your helmet face? <laughs> All right. So, but no, nobody, uh, nope, nope, nope. No, dude. I, I'm giving Mid- Midnight Sky, it's just whatever. Um, I liked watching this movie. I was just like, man, I wish they could have hit a couple of those, the uh, the better parts a little bit harder and maybe tied together some of the things that might have been better served if they were like, oh, we were, we'll totally address that in the inevitable sequel or season two, neither of which we're ever going to see. So it is what it is. And it's fine. It's fine. It's, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's, fine. it's fine. a fine movie. I'm not terribly interested in post-apocalyptic isolation tales right now, but it was fine. And, you know, Netflix brings our tour movies to the screen, albeit maybe the little one. 
and maybe that's fine and good but you know maybe also we didn't necessarily need the midnight sky in fact net maybe netflix needed george clooney more than we needed the midnight sky i agree that's fine it, just as long as we understand that fine for me is not the same as all right fine is whatever you have to grasp the tone not on paper it's fine <laughs> The tone that you can't grasp in a written review, but you can only get here on Or Whatever Movies. I've spent the last half hour defending the Midnight Sky just because you're nitpicky and nopey-mopey. But I also give the Midnight Sky a non-bar-clearing review of boring. Onyx, look at man, what a twist. A better twist in the Midnight Sky. <laughs> That's our talk on the Midnight Sky. Let us know what you think. 818-835-0473. Email at or whatever movies at j at gmail jmail at gmail dot com. Um, what other good call to action can we present to our listeners for twenty twenty one? Send us your New Year's resolutions. Sure. What's your favorite George Clooney space movie? <laughs> you know, can't you do polls like mini polls on social media? Uh, yeah, but I don't want to. I'm already busy enough. Yeah, you're our social media ambassador, dude. You gotta step it up. What's your favorite Felicity Jones space movie? Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time. Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on Electricast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. Electric acid. Electric acid. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for The, the Candle, Candle Power, Power Hour. Hour. Electric acid.